Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff, the podcast that says what it's about in the title, so I'm not going to explain it. This is part two of our two-part series on the Russian nihilists who were, for the most part, cool people. We did, for the most part, cool stuff. Um, a lot of caveats I'm going to put in there, <laughs> I got to admit. Can't win them all. Yeah. yeah. And with me today is Io, who is cool, no caveats. Hello. And so why don't you introduce yourself so that I don't have to, especially what you're famous for. Okay, I used <laughs> I used to be famous for for being in bands and then sometimes being in comics and then I made a fucking meme uh, that said "Be gay, do crime." And now McDonald's and HBO uses it in their advertisements and it haunts the mansion of my mind and I'll never be rid of it. <laughs> yep, <laughs> but I, I have a lot of feelings about being gay and doing crime. However, I can't. I have to separate myself from that because the Bernie Sanders campaign takes it over and then I got to deal with it. <laughs> anyway, that's what I'm famous for right now. Who knows next year? Stay tuned, everybody. Yay. I'm excited for you to get a break from that one. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that's not what it's on my tombstone. The, did the BK do crime meme. <laughs> I, I promise if it is, I, I'll steal your flowers and wear them. Please. Oh, and I'll get, I'll drink half a, a European forty and break it. Oh, this gives me a comfort <laughs> like you wouldn't know. <laughs> and also with us is our producer Sophie, who has told us that if we do good, that we can take the shock collars off. Yeah, but only if you do good. We'll do right. good. So far, we're doing okay. So let's see if we can bump bump yeah. it up. All right. So where we last left our stalwart heroes, they were acting like punks or hippies or something. They were all wearing weird clothes, getting too into very specific books, starting a bunch of cooperatives, partaking in the occasional casual arson, and just trying to live their little weird lives, except for one of them tried to kill the czar in 1866 and got hanged for it. Who can relate? 
I know. Uh, and suddenly the nihilists went from facing a little repression to an awful lot of repression. And the era of nihilism as cool clothes was waning. The era of nihilism as guns and bombs and pretending to be peasants, however, is just beginning. So let's talk about terrorism. And we'll talk about my second least favorite nihilist, Sergei Nietzscheev. Nietzscheev. I even looked up how to pronounce that, but so it goes. Nietzscheev. And this is the person I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for disliking, I think. He was actually a way worse person than the other guy that we talked about in the first episode who liked to pull on horsetails or just liked to get talked about badly in history books, but actually was perfectly fine. Um, but at least Sergei was interesting. So that that's why he's the second least favorite. Is there a lot of Ser- Sergei, Sergei stands out there? I think so. And you, when you find out what book he wrote, you might have heard of it. Um, so... Okay, so he was born in 1847, and he's a bit so he's a bit younger than of our previous heroes. Uh, and his parents were ex-serfs. I actually can't figure out what that means. Someone out here listening knows what that means, and I don't. His parents were freed as serfs before the serfs were freed, so I don't entirely know how the the mechanism for that. But his dad was a non-serf sign painter by the time little Sergey was born, and he went to St. Petersburg, and he became a student radical and a nihilist, and he spent his days there doing what. Every student did at the time, pondering how to kill the czar. So far, so good. And while he's there, he meets a fellow revolutionist, and he's into her, Vera Zasulich, who we've met before. She wore the really nice clothes. Vera's back. The, the potato, the potato, uh, potato sack. Vera. Is this po- is this post her? Uh, no, her potato she's sack not. Run? Yeah, no, this is 10 years before her potato sack run. Yeah, Um, she is just another student radical who likes talking about killing the czar. And they have a lot in common. They both want to kill the czar. So Sergei decides that he's going to get out of Russia for a while and he professes his love to to Vera. And she's like, no, I'm good. And then he fucks off to Geneva alone. So he goes to Geneva and he meets up with Bakunin, who was the Russian anarchist who keeps coming up. Besides the other Russian anarchist, Kropotkin, who keeps coming up. And Bakunin, who's he's in exile in Switzerland. He also escaped. He escaped Siberia a while back. Uh, it was his quote: "The destructive urge is also a creative urge that kind of sparked the whole chunk of the nihilist philosophy." The so Sergey shows up, and um, okay, look, I, I actually can't tell if he's a grifter or if he's such a true believer that he thinks anything is justifiable. And I actually somehow think it's both. But he shows up, and he's like, "Hey, Bakunin, you like secret societies, right?" Bakunin is like. <laughs> I do. I like secret societies a lot because back then he was really into secret societies. As any self-respecting anarchist would. Yeah, especially back then when they were like mass action, instead secret societies. Uh, We call them affinity groups now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, zing. Okay. Um, Yeah, gotcha, me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, well, have I got a good one for you, Sergey says. This is not actual quotes. You'll be shocked to know word for word. This is not the word for word conversation. He says he's part of the the Russian Revolutionary Committee, which is part of a bigger secret society, the Russian section of the World Revolutionary Alliance. And Russia, he'll have you know, is just on the brink of revolution. He just needs a tiny little bit of help. With your campaign contribution, (laughs) he's just fucking making it up in, in whole cloth, every single word of it. I like him so far. (laughs) 
Bakunin, like, that rules. Let me help. I'll, I want to buy that bridge you're selling. I, I, I like bridges. <laughs> so Bakunin gives him a bunch of contacts and money and a whole bunch of, gets a whole bunch of propaganda printed up for him. And all of his friends are like, Bakunin, I love you, but what the fuck are you doing? And Bakunin's like, what are you talking about? This man is the voice of Russia. He has a bridge and he's selling it. And what a deal. Um, again, not direct <laughs> quotes. I'm practically giving these bridges away. <laughs> yeah. And okay, so it's during this time that old Sergei Nietzscheev writes his book, which as far as I can tell is the the first influential book for the nihilist that isn't a novel, that isn't fiction. And I feel like there's a lesson in here personally, I say as a novelist, about how maybe they would have all done better if they'd stuck with fiction. His book is called Catechism of the Revolutionary. Have you heard of this book? It's okay if you I haven't, have I won't shame you. Okay. No, no, I haven't. Um, so first of all, it's another Christian reference. Uh, catechism is a, I had to look this up because I was only technically raised Catholic. Um, a catechism is a summary of religious doctrine intended for children or new initiates. And this book is basically like feelings are counter-revolutionary. Having your own life is counter-revolutionary. Compassion is counter-revolutionary. The the modern writer I referenced before at the kind of at the beginning, Aragorn, who writes, who's a nihilist himself or was now he's a, a dead nihilist, I guess. Um, he argues that this this book was kind of macho in a way that the men of the 60s had never managed to be. And here's a quote from this book that I don't totally love. A revolutionary is a doomed man. He has no private interests, no affairs, no sentiments, ties, property, nor even a name of his own. His entire being is devoured on by one purpose, one thought, one passion, the revolution. Heart and soul, not merely by word, but by deed. He has severed every link with the social order and with the entire civilized world, with the laws, good manners, conventions, and morality of that world. He is its merciless enemy and continues to inhabit it with only one purpose, to destroy it. A revolutionary must infiltrate all social formations, including the police. He must exploit rich and influential people, subordinating them to himself. He must aggravate the miseries of the common people so as to exhaust their patience and incite them to rebel. And finally, he must ally himself with the savage world of the violent criminal, the only true revolutionary in Russia. And it's especially that last bit about how he must aggravate the miseries of the common people to drive them to, to rebel. That is kind of the core of my, like, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. He wants to he wants to lead these dumb, poor people towards what oh, yeah. what is really, really fucking them up. You know, I oh, yeah. t- to be honest, I I was a bit taken aback at the beginning of that quote because I always thought the revolutionary is a doomed man was a Bakunin quote. And of the maybe two notes I had for mm-hmm. <laughs> this podcast was <laughs> Bakunin's quote, the revolutionary is a doomed man, which I thought was a big thing. That I knew was a big thing for the nihilists, but I thought yeah. Kunin had a bigger effect on it. But it turns out he just met this this macho dude who go go on. I'm sorry, no, but it's 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 funny that you say this though because there's this huge argument about whether or not Bakunin wrote part of or all of Catechism of the Revolutionary, um, and it gets into this whole long thing where people like to claim that he did or didn't in order to push various agendas because they want Bakunin to either be good or bad based on what they want to be true about politics. Um, 
And it's almost certain that Bakunin looked over drafts of it. Uh, it's also equally certain that he later wrote in a letter when he was when he figured out he got swindled. He wrote in a letter where he was like, your catechism is bad, um, et cetera, paraphrasing. Um, but my new hypothesis, and since I'm a historian, I'm allowed to have hypotheses. I'm definitely not a historian, but I'm allowed to have hypotheses anyway because I'm a person. Uh, I wonder how much of this like no love, no feelings, only revolt shit is because his fucking crush said no. Like it's a thing that can very easily like I I don't think he was the first person to say it, but Alan Moore brought brought up the, like the polls, like the the famous sort of like grid that people see of like uh economic left, economic right, uh libertarian, mm-hmm. right left. Um, and anarchism is at the farthest, uh, on one of the farthest poles. These people sort of make it so it can sort of like jump from that far pole of like libertarian left all the way up to whatever the fuck he's trying to do, where you can justify literally anything, but still sort of consider yourself on the left. I mean, I don't, personally buy into the left right whatever dichotomy but yeah i mean it's it seems like it's always always been there like dudes who machismo machismo gets bled into a movement and boy does it fucks things up yep so much better when dudes were just everyone was just into fashion and killing the czar they would have got there eventually i believe in them. i know i think i know they would have done it i know and um, okay, so the first thing he decides to do with his newfound his his money and all this shit, his first big plan is to get a whole bunch of his friends arrested on purpose so that they might become more radical. Uh, oh yeah, the the P, the PSL strategy. <laughs> yeah, he sends hundreds of people like pamphlets, like bundles of radical pamphlets through international mail, knowing that they'll get caught. They all get arrested. <gasps> Not You'll be shocked that, to know with their consent. Yeah, no, no consent. No, the whole point was to get them arrested. Not like, uh, hey, go stand oh. in front of this cop. Civil disobedience. No, it was I'm going to set you up to go to prison. Let's climb the fence of a nuclear power plant type. Let's hear him out. I guess sounds like he's got a plan. <laughs> oh, let's see where he goes with this. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it'll go well. So guess guess who he sends? Guess who he gets sent to prison? It's Vera. He gets Vera as a Sulich gets- <laughs> sent to prison for turning Classic. him down. Uh, she spends four years in prison um, because he has done this. Wow. That's like not a short amount of time. No. Yeah. This, yeah. This isn't a. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what number I thought you were going to say, but it wasn't four years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I really, I I am sort of, I am I am attaching a lot of like modern standards to to these people because I see a lot of modern parallels. So I was like, uh-huh. uh, they'll probably they'll probably get three months. <laughs> yeah, like tops, which no. which is still fucked up. But you know what? Wow, four f- that's four years of your youth. Yeah, and and Vera gets an old age. Spoiler alert! But most of these people don't get an old age. Like most of the people in this story don't hang out in their old age. Um, so at the end of 1869, 
he uses Bakunin's contacts and he smuggles himself back into Russia. And there he finally gets to do what he really wanted to do. Not date Barry. doesn't get to do that. She's in fucking jail. Um, he forms an actual secret society. It's called the People's Vengeance or People's Vengeance or something. And <laughs> People's he, he, blank. Yeah. Uh, he formed it by lying to everyone. Everyone who wanted to join, he gave the same lie he gave to Bakunin. Um, and it was all justifiable to him because of his stupid book and his stupid accelerationism. And, but pretty quickly, one of the new recruits whose name is Ivan Ivanovich Ivanovov, Ivanov. Um, oh, it's too many Ivans. Yeah. Since everyone else in the story is named Ivan also, maybe it's, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, everyone in America has named dumb things too, or, nor has the same name. There's nothing wrong with the name Ivan. Everyone in my family is named Margaret. So I, I understand. I used to tour with a Japanese band uh, called P. Lander Z. They're great. Um, that had a song about Americans called uh, So Many Mics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks for saving me, by the way, on that one. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so one of the new recruits is like, hey, um, Ivan. Uh, Ivan is like, is that secret society you're talking about? Is that real? Because it sounds made up. I think you're making it up. And you want to guess how <laughs> Nietzscheev uh, handles this? Did he get him arrested? Oh, that would have been nice. No, um, he he and three other people lure him into the Moscow School of Agriculture, shoot and strangle him to death, go out to a lake, cut a hole in the ice, dump his body in, in what must be the most Russian crime of all time. Holy yeah, smokes. What? what? Um, <laughs> quite, uh, yeah, they, so yeah. they're really up in their game, uh, Immediately <laughs> using it on people on their own team before they yeah. use it on the the enemy. I see. There's no before. <laughs> he never. Anyway. <laughs> um, so uh, the body is found, and Nietzscheev's three buddies get caught, but not Nietzscheev. And I can't find out why, but that's so sketchy. Since this whole thing is, I can justify anything. The fact that his three friends go down and he doesn't, he gets out of Russia. Um, it sure sounds like. He didn't act in the spirit of solidarity. Um, and he, so he fucks off out of Russia and he goes back to Bakunin. And here, once again, the sources diverge about exactly how Bakunin handled his return. It's completely possible Bakunin was immediately like, oh my God, fuck you very much. And other sources claim that Bakunin was like still friends with him for a little while afterwards before he like really figured out how much he'd been lied to or whatever. Um, but eventually... Bakunin is like, you're not a revolutionary, you're a Jesuit. Like, which is like basically him trying to dig as hard as he can. He's like, you are like obsessed with this weird purity revolution nonsense. Uh, and also fuck Bakunin? you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like Bakunin finally like wakes like the old, you know, dragon from sleep. <laughs> Except not really. He doesn't actually do anything useful. He, sh any of he this shakes the cobwebs off ju just, to, yeah. just to say, hey, fuck off. Yeah. And so he does. He fucks off and then goes around and lies and says, Bakunin has my back. And then he travels around Europe being like, Bakunin sent me. I'm Bakunin's guy. Um, and then he he wrote another book about how the perfect society is regimented and authoritarian. And like, and it's so bad that Marx and Engels call it out for being authoritarian. And they invent a term called barracks communism to make fun of it. And then they basically make fun of, I, I hate being on Marx and Engels side. 
but they make fun of Necheyev and Bakunin for having invented authoritarian communism, basically. Hey, they got they got some stuff right. Yeah, they got quite many things right. This is one of it's them. True. Did, it's true. It's um, true. You do, in fact, have to <laughs> hand it to them. Yes. And so he he wanders around Europe for a while, pretending to speak for Bakunin, and he gets run out of everywhere because he's a fucking dick. And eventually he gets arrested and extradited to Russia and he goes to prison. And in the most cosmic justice part of this whole story, he he has a lot of cons. He's very charming and he manages to charm the guards into like passing along information and all this shit. And at one point he gets word out to the people's will. We're going to get to them later. They're the, the some of the more hardened uh, people. And he gets a word out to them and he's like, hey, bust me out of prison. And they're like, Hey, sorry, comrade. That would distract from our work. The revolutionary is a doomed man and everything. And so they just let him rot. Um, <laughs> what are you going to do out here, motherfucker? Come on. Yeah. Um, so he, he hangs in prison for a while and then eventually he's found dead in his cell. And I can't. I, someone knows how he died. But the the many sources I looked into are like found dead in cell, which probably means either murdered or suicide. I don't know. A lot of I'm I'm very impressed by. Um, you, first of all, what, a, what a good friend, uh, I have in you, uh, but you researching this podcast, because this is a lot of stuff that you really have to dig a lot of sort of like somebody knows, but they are long dead, uh, yeah. stuff that may exist in like one or two texts out there that, that you have found. Some of them I've tried to, but some of them are, and a lot of them are probably also in Russian and Yeah. Um, and it feels like this is a, a logical time to talk about the fact that this podcast actually is sponsored. It's sponsored by people who who pay to have their advertisements appear and interrupt your listening so that you can hear about what they do. And, and that's what's going to happen now. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. 
Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So anyway, fuck that guy. So let's talk about how women in Russia became doctors instead. Yay, hooray. A logical segue, right? I'm good at my job. Uh, (laughs) So... Most of what most of the nihilists and revolutionaries were doing, including into this like revolutionary nihilism period, actually had nothing to do with murder and poison and daggers and bombs and shit. And it just doesn't get talked about as much. And I'm going to play into that a little bit because some of it isn't as dramatic of a history. But one thing that the nihilists did and the both the foundational nihilists and, and those inspired by them is basically pave the way for women to become doctors in Russia. In the 1870s in Russia, basically all women students were assumed to be revolutionists. Uh, which rules and also probably wasn't all that far off from the truth. And basically women were suddenly allowed to audit some classes. And also then what happened is that women made their way internationally to find teachers who would let them come in as students. And so if some teacher in Zurich would let women students in, word would get around and then all the women would show up and and start taking that person's classes. Um, And then in 1872, some of these women actually managed to even open medical academies and other schools in Russia a total of four of them, and they taught like a thousand students at a time. There were a lot of like rules in Russia that I don't totally understand that basically were like, this is the number of students that are allowed to be educated in any given year. Um, and those numbers kept shifting uh, because autocracy. I think the answer here is autocracy. And and women were also involved in in like all stages of the nihilism. I mean, I guess I've already talked about several and I'll keep talking about more. But they they did a lot in the educational part. They did a lot in the stabby, shooty, explodey kind of nihilism and one of the more interesting things that I, I ran across is this idea that the um, the women managed to mostly avoid the sort of fuck you dad part of nihilism, the generation war, while like older women would still wear the sort of proper dress and like corsets and, and hoop skirts and things. They were generally supportive of the younger women. And it was just like kind of all a lot chiller than what the boys had going on. And I like that. It makes me happy when mothers and daughters get along well and are all in the revolution together and everyone can wear hoop skirt or no hoop skirt as they're off to go and autocracy. And to go for another feel-good thing that the nihilists got up to, and okay, I'm using the word nihilist once again very loosely here. Basically, every revolutionary in Russia was called a nihilist during this period, especially by Westerners, and all of the categories were 
super blurry and people didn't fit in the nice boxes. But the nice box I'm now going to throw everyone into and conflate with nihilism is the Narodniks, which basically means the populists. And the Narodniks, I'm not going to focus on as much, um, but they did this whole going to the people thing. And okay, Western socialism was obsessed with the proletariat. It was obsessed with like the urban poor. But Russian socialists instead looked to the former serfs who were not only the masses worth inspiring to revolt, but they were also kind of where the ideas for what a better society might come from. The, the influence in general of the nihilists actually goes out west instead of just coming from the west, you know. Um, and specifically the, the Narodniks or the nihilists or whatever, the revolutionists, looked at the egalitarian communes the peasants were generally organized into and they were into it. Um, there was a lot of idealization. Some of it was probably kind of bad. Some of it was sort of like a, almost like a noble savage level of like nonsense about being like these perfect peasants, you know, um, if only they would be wisened up with our great teachings. It's it's not perfect. But basically in the early 1870s, all of the like young student radicals, um, again, who are mostly lower middle class and such, decided that they wanted to live simpler lives and also teach the masses, not like Yes, teach them about revolution and stuff, but also just like literally teach them like math and science and all of this stuff. Um, and they had a lot of kind of arguments about how to do it, but there was no like central committee. There wasn't even kind of a, a decentralized organization that did this. It was almost more like a meme. It was like this like thing. In the end, Kropotkin ended up calling it the mad summer of 1874 because everyone just like went off and did it in groups of three or four. They all like learned how to become cobblers and shit. And then we're like, all right, we're going to the people. And uh, they started like traveling the countryside and working alongside the people and preaching revolution, but also like being doctors there and and, and just trying to help out. Um, and once again, everyone has completely different ideas of how this played out. And I'm going to go against the conventional wisdom here. The conventional wisdom is that this was completely naive. The peasants like turned them into the cops. No one listened to them. This is all just a bunch of like on high nonsense and it didn't work and and all of this stuff. And the the more recent historians I've read say that this is this is a lie. Um the the idea that they were like completely naive is just ahistorical and it serves a lot of different narratives to claim that they were naive. If they were being viewed as missionaries, maybe that they it might be that their work was a failure, but they weren't Marxist missionaries. They weren't even anarchist missionaries or nihilist missionaries. They didn't they believed their whole thing was that the work of freeing the people was the work of the people themselves. And so instead, their work is to educate people. And they actually showed some success in it. And in general, they earn people's trust. A thousand of them end up arrested. And a lot of sources claim that the peasants turned them in. That's all based on one time that one peasant turned in one nihilist and turned him in because he was like being shitty to the kids, to the guy's kid. Time and time again, the cops would show up being like, we think you have subversives here teaching you stuff. And they were like, they would literally answer like, I'm sorry, I am at one with the community and like stonewall them. Um, and then like at one point, a neurotic physician was working in. A, yeah, no, they were like, um, and even if they didn't like the guy, even if they were like, hey, he's a little weird, but they're like, well, we're not going to turn you in, you know? Um, yeah, they 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 know what it means when yeah, somebody totally. says you have subversives here. Yeah, it's like, I'm not a I'm not a fan, but yeah, hey, come like, on. He taught my kids how to read. What do you want? You know, and at one point, like yeah. a physician, he's showed, annoying, is, but <laughs> yeah, he keeps talking about the masses or something. But it, hey, my kid knows how to and, read. And now. I'm like, fuck off, dude. 
I'm yeah. just trying. I'm just trying to grow, grow my spuds. Yeah. Um, and so at one point, this physician is working in a village, and the cops are trying to build a case against him. But uh, the way it's written is, but he must have been a very bad physician because everyone was suffering from both deafness and amnesia because no one would snitch him out. Everyone's like, I don't remember, and all the kids were like, I think he talked <laughs> to me, but I fell asleep. Um, and it actually it came that, up a lot in the huge trial. Go ahead. That's a blast. I love yeah. that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. All the, the fucking like <laughs> a fucking cartoon level dumb cop. <laughs> Chief Wiggum comes yeah. in. They're like, ah, everybody everybody's uh everybody's been struck with a case of amnesia. They won't tell me where the where the subversive is. Yeah. <laughs> um Okay, and then I'm going to talk about a bad Neuronic during this whole time just to, to, to flavor the soup and talk about how the left was really anti-Semitic everywhere and continues to be to this day. One of the Neuronics I read about, um, he was like, he kept talking about how the peasants needed to rise up and slaughter the nobility, the czar, and uh, used a not nice word for Jews because they were all idlers. Um, and left anti-Semitism has been going on for a long, long time. There were... There were absolutely Jews among the nihilists, and I'm going to talk about a couple of them later. Um, but in general, I don't have a really clear picture of how common this sentiment was, but I believe it was uh, an, an evil that found its way into the left at the time. Um, so it's always pe it's always peppered in there. I know. Like, you'll hear somebody who's right about everything, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they're like, and it's because of the Jews. And you're like, wait, hold, hold on. Yeah. Come on, like, you had it You had it right there, and you had to yeah. invent, this, invent this, like... Yeah. And, which which <laughs> both sides agree on. The czar, you know, not this particular czar, he didn't get a chance to because he got blown up, but... Including by a Jewish woman, but we'll get to that. Um, but, uh... <laughs> You know, the 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 protocols of the elders of Zion all come out of czar Russia conspiracy nonsense. And one of the things that also happened is that the Neuroniks actually were converted by the people rather than just the peop them converting the people or whatever. And I see this a lot in like my contemporary circles, right? Like Earth Firsters who go move out to go live rural to do organizing. They just stay rural and adopt the mannerisms in the culture. And it's it it stops being an affectation at some point and people are just like Actually, I really like living out here and like working on a farm and hang, having a truck and stuff, you know, and and that happened to a lot of the Narodniks as far as I can tell. Um, and some of them even converted to the religion of the people that they would go out amongst. There's like a lot of I, I wish I could go into it now. I I, I genuinely want to do something about the weird uh, different cults and groups that were going on at the time. But stay tuned for cool people <laughs> who do cool stuff after dark. Where yeah, we talk totally. about this. On the Patreon level, uh, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to talk about the Scopesy, which was a castration cult amongst the people at some point. But Oh, good. Um, but basically, a lot of the people who went out, including some of the people who were like the leaders in as much as there were some of the Narodniks, uh, joined the spiritual Christianity movement, including the, the Dokobors, which I don't know how to pronounce, who were sort of like these Christian anarchists who lived out um, – at least in Siberia. And actually, apparently, later anarchists like Kropotkin, for example, got a lot of his ideas when he was exiled in Siberia from hanging out with them um, about how cooperation works. And later, 
the Christian anarchist Tolstoy, the famous author, War and Peace guy, um, helped pay to get a bunch of the Dokobors, whose names I really should have looked up, uh, how to pronounce, out of the country and into Canada. And, oh, and then some of the people who did all of that ended up converting to Christian anarchism and moved to Kansas and started a commune for a while and tried to start a new religion. Um, and it fell apart. Oh, like, shit. Every utopian commune thing that's ever happened in the U.S. falls apart. Yeah, same as it ever was. I would love I would love to hear about that commune, though. Yeah, no. And I'm a big I have a big interest in Christian anarchism that as raised raises a, a very, a very deep Irish Catholic. OK, so. A thousand of them get arrested, 193 of them are held for trial. They're held for three years in prison and they're tried because they're tried in 1877. 153 of them are acquitted, and it's called the Trial of the 193, and it's the largest trial in Tsarist Russian history. And a lot of people become hardened revolutionists as a result. And, well, to quote John F. Kennedy, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. And so... Uh, just, just like, just like <laughs> Lenin, just like Marx, I will say again, <laughs> they had some good points. <laughs> yeah. So... Get you half to hand it to them. <laughs> so let's talk about violent revolution. Let's talk about land and freedom. Let's talk about the stuff that will be read in a court transcript for mm -hmm. me later. Yep. And let's talk about, okay, you know how I said there's three naming conventions? They either have terrible names like the People's Association of Fake Secret Societies of Russia, or they have like really obvious names like organization. They also, this group that folds into Land and Freedom mm -hmm. is named the Trog Delights, <laughs> which rules. Hell yeah. and the, tr the Trog Delights? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like, this is basically the that movie, The Warriors. Um, <laughs> and so they come together after the trial of the 193 and form Land and Freedom, which is actually the second group to be called Land and Freedom, but there's only so much time in this world and in this podcast. So I'm going to talk about this Land and Freedom. We don't have time. You got, you have the internet, Wikipedia, fucker. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? There is time. There's time to listen to the, the people who are supporting this podcast and, and hearing what they have to say. Bean Dad, The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and we're now finally talking about Vera Zasulich. We keep referencing multiple times throughout the past couple episodes, this episode and the previous episode. Yeah. She's the woman who spurned Nechiev and might have accidentally pushed him towards his little weird incel rant of the revolutionary catechism. I wonder how much hate mail I'll get for referring to it as an incel rant. Anyway. Hey, that's, sh- that's showbiz, folks. <laughs> from, from experience, a lot. Cool. Cool. Anyway, you can find me. My, my Twitter handle is I write okay. <laughs> <laughs> so okay vera was born in 1851 and she was descended from like minor and broke nobility which seems to be again a constant thing is that like nobility doesn't guarantee you i mean it it sure is nicer than being a serf I'll, i'm sure nobility was just just a higgledy piggledy sort of thing back then yeah i feel like it practically meant like not owned by somebody it, it it's more complex <laughs> than that but uh, her dad died when she was three, and as soon as she finished high school in 1866, she moved to St. Petersburg, so she was like 15, and she found work at a, as a clerk, and she, in good nihilist fashion, went around and taught classes, and she taught literacy classes for working women, and she rolled with a whole bunch of different political factions. She spurned that guy who asked her to emigrate with him, and she didn't want to, so he goes off, then he gets her thrown in prison. It's totally not revenge, babe. It's just the revolution, you know? The revolution just needs you to be in jail. Um, she spends four years in prison. She's released in 1873, and she moves to Kiev because, uh, much like Russia is attempting to redo, uh, Ukraine was owned by the Russian Empire at this time. Her and her friend Masha Kolenkina are like, "Hey, you know what? Maybe some guys need to die, like like you do. Like whomst amongst us has not thought that some guys Ooh, might need to die." I mean. Can you can you really imagine a better world without coming to this inevitable conclusion? I can't wait to, for this to be read in court. <laughs> so, so Vera, more specific. I mean, we're obviously only talking about 19th century people. These are the only people who need to die. 
So we actually can't kill anyone until we build time machines. Far past the statute of limitations. <laughs> Can you use time machines to like, <laughs> you kill someone and then you just hop in the time machine to go forward? Statute of limitations into the future? No, I've tried. Oh, okay. Um, so, okay, more specifically, Vera decided that uh, Fyodor Trepov should die. He'd spent about 50 years putting down revolts, especially in Poland, which was also owned by Russia at this point. Um, and he moved to St. Petersburg in 1866. He was a big part of that putting down the nihilist thing, uh, which he'd succeeded at. He was a successful crushing the nihilist type person. Um, but that's not what got him put on Vera's list. Oh, no. It wasn't enough to just crush the nihilists. Okay, so this is other guy. And there's too many names in the story already. So this guy's this guy. He's a nihilist. He wasn't a big deal. I mean, I'm sure he was in his own life and the people who loved him. But one day he shows up, I think it's 1876. He shows up late to a demonstration. The demonstration gets called and he, he goes. He has nothing to do with the organizing or anything. And it had already been busted up by the cops. So he gets arrested. Uh, he gets sent to prison or I guess jail. But, you know, he gets sent to not nice hole where you're stuck. And he uh, he's in prison with alongside all the trial, of the 193 people that I was just talking about, the, the people who went to the people. and. So Fyodor Trepov comes into the prison one day and this guy, the wrong place, the wrong time guy, he doesn't take off his hat in deference. So Fyodor has him, Fyodor has him flogged to an inch of his life, which is kind of shockingly the, the first time one of these young radicals is flogged in prison, um, or at least the first time like a member of the intelligentsia is flogged in prison. And it's like a big deal, both in prison and outside of prison. And so the, the whole prison riots because a, a prisoner got beat up. Um, and he like really got beat up. He goes insane. The wrong place, wrong time guy goes insane. He spends the rest of his life in a psych ward screaming and yelling about the people who are trying to kill him, which is actually a fairly reasonable conclusion for him to have reached based on the fact that he showed up late to a demonstration and then got thrown in prison where he was beaten for not taking a hat off. Yeah, there's people trying to kill him for not taking a hat off. Imagine the people trying to kill him for real reasons. Yeah. So so Vera is like, all right, it's it's shooty time. Right. Um, this guy, pew, not pew. the not the wrong place guy, but <laughs> Fyodor. And then her friend Masha picks another target. Uh, she picks the, the prosecutor behind the trial of the 193 and they head out separately. And Vera finds Mr. Trepoff and shoots him. Uh, I think maybe the first time in this story, someone successfully shoots somebody. <laughs> um, but she she doesn't successfully assassinate. He survives. No, uh, Vera. I know. He's, he's seriously wounded. Uh, it's, it's, again, the best that people had gotten to at that point. Um, he, he had an extremely bad time. Yeah. And That's she actually something. used... Yeah, exactly. It's not nothing. Yeah. She used a revolver called a British Bulldog, which was the same type of gun that three years later, uh, Charles Gateau in the US used to kill President Garfield for basically no good reason. Like, Charles Gateau was not like a political actor in any particular way. Uh, he was like mad that he didn't get a job. Um, and. Hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to. Yeah, no, I mean, whatever, you know. I'm not, I'm not here to talk down somebody who killed the, pre <laughs> killed the president. Yeah. Way to, way to go, my dude. <laughs> well, actually, this actually brings up something that happened earlier is that when, when Lincoln got killed. Um, before any of the people shot any of the people in Russia, at least in, within my story, obviously some people had shot some people in Russia before this. Uh, when Lincoln got killed, 
the revolutionists in Europe were like mostly bummed because they kind of liked Lincoln, right? Because they hated the Confederacy because they weren't really big fans of slavery because they had like a decent basic moral compass. But they all kind of had this epiphany after uh, Wilkes Booth kills Lincoln where they're just suddenly like, you mean you could just like kill a guy? <laughs> okay, so Masha misses entirely. Uh, but she then gets in a shootout with some cops and she ends up, winds up sentenced to Siberia. Vera, though, she gets caught and she goes on trial. But it's a jury trial, which is kind of new at the time. And the jury, after deliberating and hearing out what everyone has to say, is like, you know what, fuck it. Like, the guy seems like he needed killing. I mean, it's basically self-defense. Um, and she's let off. Fuck. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So the government is like, you know what? It's a jury trial thing. It's not our thing anymore. Um, was, this a, was this a reform from, uh, from the good czar Alexander II? I, I believe so. That is my impression. Um, and so he rolls back and it's no more juries for political trials. So Vera is like, I hear Switzerland's nice. She gets the fuck out of Russia. She goes to it Switzerland. Is, um, it is nice. Yeah. And hope, she you be- had a, hope you had a good time, Vera, and nothing else bad happened to you? Kind of, yeah. She actually does all right. She she becomes a Marxist. She becomes a Menshevik, which is like the the more reform minded of the the Russian Marxists compared to the Bolsheviks. Um, and she kind of, you know, a, a lot of these people actually kind of later are like, well, we gave it the old college try and it didn't work. And so they're not like, man, I'm so sorry I tried to kill that dude. But they are like, maybe killing that dude wasn't the way to accomplish the things that we're trying to accomplish. You know. If you, yeah, you have you have your beliefs in your heart, and you have your beliefs in reality. Yeah, and in in those days, they were they were a little more cut and dry, as as far as I see it, at least. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so after uh, Masha and Vera try to kill some people, a lot of shit happens. Uh, Land and freedom does a lot of shit, kind of all in 1878, and I'm not gonna go blow by blow, but after the you know after all this stuff happens, the police raid some radical presses, and one press operator named Ivan, of course, uh, Ivan Kowalski, is like, you know what, fuck you, and he fights the police with a dagger and a gun while his friends burn all the incriminating documents um, behind oh, man. him. Yeah, and he's he's captured and he's <laughs> oh tried, he's executed. Oh my god, cool! <laughs> what yeah. a cool guy! I know. <laughs> um, and. He's the first political execution of this like new era. It's like been 10 years since uh, Kowalski. Um, and then there's like a wild back and forth after that. Multiple people are getting shot and stabbed. Nihilists kill an infiltrator. Then they, they shoot a prosecutor who also survives. Um, more than one chief of police gets stabbed to death with a dagger at this point. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about one of those in a I little mean, bit. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, in, in Tsarist the... Russia, in, in <laughs> autocracy. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. In Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we should use Tsarist Russia as our new. Uh, <laughs> in yeah. Minecraft. Min- in Minecraft is burned. Everybody talk about Tsarist Russia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one nihilist is named uh, Michael Frelenko. He goes undercover as a prison guard. He gets a job as a prison guard, and he gets himself promoted to chief warden. So he took the advice of that that earlier uh, pamphlet or book that you yeah, mentioned. That's true. All right. All right. Score one for for Nechiev. Uh, N- when you were mentioning Nechiev's book, I was just like, yeah. "Who the fuck would take the time?" Yeah, <laughs> no, they, they they would take the time. They, don't they have, took the they time. Don't have the internet. 
Yeah. We found we found someone in this very script. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one later, actually. There's two of them. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, Michael, now that he's chief warden and a nihilist, he just walks a bunch of them out of jail. <laughs> he just like a bunch of people who are like on trial for death. And he just walks them out of jail and they spend like a week rowing away to safety on the river. I want to watch the, I want to watch the down by law. I want to watch Tom Waits in this movie. Oh God. Tom Waits would be good for it. Uh, Yeah. I just watched the Shawshank Redemption for the first time in my life, which wouldn't be a good template for it. But like, (laughs) as far as prison break movies go, you could, you could make an Oscar winning yeah. Story out of these guys. I already yeah. know. Another nihilist infiltrated the secret police and then just provided the nihilists with names of informants. Oh um, my God. My okay. Guys. Hell yeah. Those are like, just, just as an aside, the people uh-huh. who do that in the modern day, the people who infiltrate like neo-Nazi yeah. orgs and the people who like, I know, I know that it's like way less common and way less open, but just just big, big ups. Big yeah. Res- yeah. respect to those people. Yeah. It was a, a moment of silence for the people <laughs> who are definitely still alive, who I love very dearly. Yeah. Especially the ones who do anyway. it so IRL that they, like, can't hang out with their friends, you know? I know. They really put their lives on hold for yeah. for that shit. Like, yeah. Yeah, good for them. Anyway, sorry. Go on. No, no, no. Okay, now I'm going to talk about... My favorite social Democrat. It's not Bernie. You'd think it'd be Bernie, but it's not. Um, <gasps> it's this guy named Stepniak. There's more? I know. Well, if Bernie Step- could do this. Stepniak. If Bernie could do this, it would, it would um, I don't actually have a low opinion of him. I just have a non-opinion of him. Um, yeah, he's fine. He's a good, he's, seems a good guy. Uh, okay, so Stepniak is kind of a what hasn't he done. Uh, <laughs> So he was a he was a Russian artillery officer, but then when he was twenty in eighteen seventy one, he was like, I don't like this, and he quit, right? Because he got radicalized, became a nihilist or whatever. I guess he, you know, complicated his personal definitions, and he he joined the going to the people. He got arrested. He then escaped, um, and when he escaped, he went to Bosnia, which was trying to free itself from the Ottoman Empire at the time. So he helped them do it, or he joined the struggle, and he then wrote a book about guerrilla warfare. While he's again in his twenties, he then. Then fucks off to Italy, where he joins an anarchist uprising in Benevento in 1877, which was basically like 30 people with rifles marching on villages in uh, in Italy and basically set all the tax and ownership records on fire. And everyone's like, this rules. And like the priest comes out and is like, thank you. These people were sent by God to liberate us. And they do this at two towns. And then as they're marching to the third town, they all get rounded up and arrested. And then he gets out of jail. And I actually don't totally understand the mechanism by which he got out of jail. I haven't done enough research. But it it, it points to political turmoil causes people to get out of jail more, um, which is a good thing to remember that if you, like, keep going, your friends are less likely to end up staying in jail. So after he's done this. Keep that in mind, listener. Yeah, for when you go back to Tsarist Russia, um, which he did. He went back to Tsarist Russia, and he then edited a journal. He was like, oh, I'm going to jo- edit a Narodnik journal. And then right around that time, that press operator, the like dagger and gun defender guy got um, got executed. He uh, found the chief of the secret police and stabbed him to death in the street, um, which is <laughs> this is one of the ones that I've heard about. Yeah. <laughs> nice. 
And he like, it, it's funny because they actually have a better track record with daggers. Um, <laughs> yeah, a dagger is hard to fail with. It's like one of the most solid advice, most solid piece of advice I've ever gotten is if somebody pulls a gun, here's what you do to disarm them. If somebody pulls a knife, you run. Yeah, totally. Like a knife, a knife is a good is a, if you know how to use a knife. Yeah. Like a knife isn't isn't a good defensive weapon or offensive weapon unless you know how to use it. Yeah. But ooh, when it is. Yeah. These and these guys knew at daggers drawn, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I know, and I'm like, I wonder why he picked it. Like he probably had better aim than the rest of these guys because he was an artillery officer and and whatever. Um but he just the just the fucking showmanship of it. I know. And so then he he hides, hides underground in Russia for like two years and then he makes his way to London where he becomes a writer and he writes like novels and stuff. And one thing I read a while ago says that he was like the first Russian national to write and publish a book in English. And I feel like that's one of those things that people track in different ways at different times. So don't please don't hold me to that. But and and for all of his like stabbing and guerrilla warfare and shit, he was a social Democrat. Um, and so so Bernie, step it up, man. Uh, and, <laughs> and then on, he, you 80 year old fuck. <laughs> um, and then he got hit by a train, not Bernie, uh, Stepniak. He got hit by a train in the middle of the night in London and died. Uh, he was probably drunk and it might've been suicide and no one wants to talk about it. Everyone is like, no, he just died. He was just hit by a train walking home by the night. And I'm like, I struggle to understand the mechanism by which I get hit by a train unless I'm trying to hop it, trying to die. That's it. Those are the list of things in which I would get hit by a train uh, and killed. Trains were newer. I don't know. He's, he... Yeah, it was like a rogue train just running through the street. Um, Whoa, a ghost train. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to our nihilists. Uh, and in in early 1879, you have a, a Jewish nihilist named uh, Gregory Goldenberg who assassinates Prince Kropotkin. Uh, which is only a funny thing to say to people who pay attention to the fact that uh, Prince Kropotkin is also the name of this anarchist that I keep quoting. But Prince Kropotkin, the anarchist, was a prince, and he had a cousin who was also a prince named Prince Kropotkin, who was the who was a governor general. And was this this uh, related to Kropotkin? Yeah, he was his cousin. Uh, hmm. How do you so, feel about it? I actually don't know. I think he probably was completely fine with it. Like. Way more than most people, um, I think that some of these people who come from nobility are like actual class traders. Um, and that's my impression, but mm -hmm. I, I don't know. No, um, no, it does, seem, it does seem like there's a fair number of them come out. Yeah. So, so Gregory, he wanted to kill the czar and he was like, I'm going to kill the czar. And then the rest of Land and Freedom uh, was like, actually, it would be really sketchy if a, a Jewish person kills the czar. And I'm struggling to understand whether this was a like, because we don't want pogroms to come out of it, or if it was a like, no, because it defeats our propaganda purposes or whatever. But I actually, based on everything I've read, I actually lean towards thinking that the nihilists were like, no, we don't want pogroms to happen. And so Gregory's like, fine, I'll just go kill Kropotkin instead. Um, but spoiler alert, anything you do in Russia at this time causes pogroms. Just I don't know. People are like, I don't. I actually don't want to make too much of a joke about it. It just sucks. No, it's it's bad. They really couldn't express their emotions without doing a pogrom. Yeah, and they're just fucking. Everyone's anti-Semitic on all sides of everything at the point. So Goldenberg, he 
loses his mind in prison. And again, a couple different stories of what happens. Uh, either he confesses and snitches out his friends to a cellmate who happens to be an informant, or he has some kind of like loses his mind moment and he confesses to a guard who he thinks is like a religious figure. And he's like talking to the spirits. Either way, he gives up a bunch of names and then he realizes what he's what he's done and he uh, despondently takes his own life in prison. Um, and then in 1879, also another nihilist takes five shots at the czar and he misses all five times. Seriously, <laughs> someone needs to set up. That's the cooperative they should have set up was a shooting range. The amount of times revolutionaries have missed their targets yeah. over over since guns were fucking invented. It, yeah. Every every time I'm just I'm I'm like everything hinges on these bullets flying through and they're and they're just fucking lock, yeah. lock and load throw, throwing it out like some, <laughs> like some like some like they're playing a video uh, game. Like they're playing um, a I mean, goddamn video game. I, I have ammo. no idea what it's like to be in that situation. Like I can imagine it's quite stressful. Yeah. And I can imagine that yeah, going into that, you got a you got a lot to deal with, but yeah, far far be it for me to judge. But it it is something that that that's the reason you look back at history about all the people who have missed who like the people who have who have shot true have been like right up on right up on them. Yeah. Dude. Gun technology has come far, but it hasn't come that far as yeah. far as like revolvers go and and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the crackdown against nihilists is like way harsher this time. Uh, 16 nihilists end up hanged. Four of them, apparently 14 of them, apparently in, in Kiev. And after this, another nihilist takes two shots at the general in charge of repression. And misses. And no. after this, guys, Le- I know. Uh, we, Le- we gotta have a not- <laughs> we gotta have a, a new NRA <laughs> nihilist rifle association. Um, so after all of this shit, Land and Freedom splits up and forms two new groups. They're not called Land and Freedom. Uh, one of them is called Black Repartition, and they're like, you know, we keep shooting and missing. Let's focus on propaganda. And the other one is the people's will. And the people's will is like, but we really have our hearts set, killing, set on killing the czar. And so that's who we're going to talk about in the final stage of revolutionary nihilism, people's will. To, to quote Aragorn again, after the dissolution of land and freedom, the people's will devoted themselves to the assassination of the czar. They did not see this death as linked to a larger social struggle. They did not have the infrastructure, social solution, or desire to assume power and believed that the institution of the Russian autocracy was firmly in place. Their desire was not a coup. It was vengeance. The nihilists also held on to the belief that if their positive actions towards social change, like their organizing of the peasants, were so easily thwarted by the malevolence of neglect by the state, the negative action, like assassination, would more likely finally result in substantive change to the system. Finally, there was a fatalist and deeply held belief that destruction was worthwhile for its own sake and not because of the humanitarian, political, or social reasons. And, and the reason, <laughs> I read this quote because the, most of the mainstream histories, again, kind of talking about how the, the funny clothes people were naive, the going to the people people were naive, the assassins were naive. And, and I think that's just written 
from a non-nihilist perspective by and large. Because if you're trying to say, hey, we're trying to spark a revolution, then absolutely they were naive, right? It didn't, it didn't work. It wasn't going to work. Um, but they knew what they were doing for good or ill. It wasn't let's spark a revolution. It was a, like, we hate having a czar. Let's fucking kill him. Yeah, who the fuck else got that much done with, like they? I was I was about to say with that little work, but they put oh they put some work, work into of, it. <laughs> oh, they put some hours. They put some blood, sweat, and tears into this into this yeah. thing. And everyone wants you know eventually they did have a, did have a change, but uh, you know you destabilize a movement, you take out somebody, you leave a power vacuum, but. What the fuck ever? Like you have a you have a plan for something. Look how that worked out for the Bolsheviks. <laughs> it worked out good for the nightmare. Bolsheviks. Turned out terrible for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So, welcome to the wily e. coyote stage of nihilism. First, they tried to blow up the Tsar's train in Ukraine. They picked three spots that the train would likely to be going through, and they set a trap at each one. The first spot near Odessa. Yeah, they they got a nihilist into the railway workforce. But then the Tsar picked a different route at the last minute. So in the second spot, a nihilist opened a tannery as an excuse to make dynamite and plant it on the tracks or under the tracks or whatever. But I guess the nihilist wasn't very good at making dynamite because none of it lit. So the third place, because, you know, they're covering their bases. They have, they have a plan, a fallback plan, and a fallback fallback plan. The third time, they rent an apartment 50 feet from the tracks and they start digging a tunnel to mine the tracks. And this took a ton of people and a ton of time. And neighbors noticed how many people were like in and out of the apartment. And Nihilus were filling the spare bedroom with excavated dirt. And so much food kept, this part is weird. So much food kept coming in to feed the workers that the Nihilus had to explain it away to neighbors or something as belonging to a fictitious cat. They're like, oh, all the food that keeps coming in is for our cat. Um, you wouldn't believe the size of this cat. I know. And so finally... Don't talk to him about Monday or Nermals. Yeah. <laughs> but we keep having to bring the lasagna in for him. Um, so, okay, they're t- and they're tunneling through sandy soil and it keeps almost caving in on them and they're all really freaked out. But they finally mine the tracks and the train comes and they set it off and they blow up the wrong car on the wrong train and get a cargo car. So, onward, Wiley Coyote. In February 1880... A nihilist, probably named Tyler Durden, takes a job at the Winter Palace because <laughs> um, it's pure Fight Club style. He takes a job at the Winter Palace and he starts filling the basement with dynamite. And their um, timing was off and they kill 11 people, wounding 50 and miss the czar completely. And this is the first time in my research, but again, there's probably more of it. It's the first time that they just are like killing other people. And and for me, this actually marks a... Um, I, they lose some sympathy with me at this point. Um, I I don't believe that mm-hmm. if you're like, fuck a czar, that's cool. But you're like, and I'm willing to kill other people in the process. You get really complicated quickly for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I but, mean, that's a, that's a stage that most most revolutionary movements it's true. tend to meet. Yeah, you got to contend with that. Yeah. Um, like all the plans to kill Hitler and all that shit were all the same too, you know? Um, yeah. IRA, same, yeah. same shit. So they're kind of out of their heroic stage and they're in their Wiley e. Coyote stage. Uh, and 
So next they decide to submerge a bunch of explosives under a bridge, but then like a guy is late and they call the whole plan off. So then they mine another road, but then the czar changes travel plans. So then they're like, all right, you know what? Fuck this. We're doing it right. They tracked the czar's movements carefully. They decided that his routine was clearest on Sundays. They picked a place. They opened up a cheese shop and they started digging. And they acted so weird at their cheese shop that people called the cops on them, which almost ruined the whole thing. But once again, the cop is uh, Chief Wiggum. And Chief Wiggum comes in and he's like, I don't see any dirt. It's only straw. I can't do it. I can't do any accent to save my life, let alone a Chief Wiggum. That's, that's a dead. Well, oh, did Chief Wiggum just walk in the room? Yeah, thanks. Um, and <laughs> basically, they've been covering all the like excavated dirt with straw on the floor. And the cops are like, oh, and then they leave. <laughs> um, yeah. And so they get back to digging. Uh and they're really not fucking around. In addition to mining the road, they have four people on standby with grenades and someone else has a gun and a dagger. And I really appreciate that they included the dagger because by God, it's what they're good at, you know? And the leader of the whole thing was, uh, I don't actually understand entirely how their leadership structure worked or whether a leader is a euphemism or whether it was a, definitely a leader. I don't know. Um, the leader of the plot was arrested two days before they were going to do it. So... Um, his wife stepped up into the role and was the leader of the plot. On the day of, the carriage doesn't go to the right place, but they have a plan. And so they signal, hey, the carriage isn't going to the right place. I think someone like waves a handkerchief in the crowd. So they all go to the right place and they all move to the new spot. Zard's carriage comes up. First grenade, grenadier throws a bomb under the carriage. It blows up. Boom. It doesn't do anything to the carriage because it's like super armored. It kills one of his guards and it injures a like a peasant kid who's walking by. And uh, the czar is like, what the hell's going on? So he comes out of his carriage. So the second grenadier throws a bomb at the at the feet of the czar. And uh, and not that's all she wrote. I, I did write actually more than this. But the second bomb does the trick after all of this hard work. It blows up the czar and the person who threw the bomb, neither of whom die immediately. They both die horribly in pain over a period of long time. The czar is rendered into a red mist Yay. that eventually dies later. Hooray! Yeah. And, um, and then the third bomber. All right. Here's where everything starts to unravel. The third bomber, <laughs> his version of the story that he said in court to save his own life is that the reason he ran over to the czar was to make sure the czar's okay. And like every version of the story I read is like, yeah, that's what happened. He recanted at the last minute. And I'm kind of of the like, no, he went over there to make sure the czar was going to die. Yeah. <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. You're there with a bunch of, bo- you're there with a bunch of grenades. You're, I mean, I'm not, I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to get this guy double arrested a hundred years later. <laughs> Double jeopardy. <laughs> you the, know those mediums we have I, on I call do, are going to come and. <laughs> I do love. I do love somebody up on the stand. It's just like I shot President Reagan, and I'm going to do it again and again and again and again. <laughs> yeah, and then this person is the opposite. This person is like, I felt so bad that a wave of patriotic joy came over me, and I ran over and and it. I was like, Papa. <laughs> yeah, and it, it worked for him. He survives. Um, but then he also. Um, The first bomber snitches and causes a raid on the headquarters. One of the nihilists goes down shooting and then takes his own life. Uh, Another nihilist is like shoots back and gets captured. 
in the end, five nihilists are hanged. And it's done like intentionally cruelly where they don't drop the platform. They just, which breaks your neck and then you die quickly. Instead, they just strangle them basically slowly on the stand. And hmm. a lot of people didn't like that. And it actually, uh, people were like, whoa, the, this kind of sucks. Um, and unfortunately, here's where we get back to the anti-Semitism. Hooray! Um, so you can't talk about history without talking about anti-Semitism. Uh not in, not in Russia, you can't for sure. No. And so, okay, one of the women who was arrested was Jewish. And so Jews were blamed for the death of the czar and a wave of pogroms went off across the country um, and left businesses and homes destroyed and people injured and many more people left destitute. And But fortunately, a radical labor union decided to chime in about the pogroms trying to stop the madness. Specifically, this labor union said, brother workers... You are beating the Jews, but indiscriminately. One should not beat the Jews because he is a Jew and prays to God in his own way. Indeed, God is one and the same to all. Rather, one should beat him because he is robbing the people. He is sucking the blood of the working man. Um, oh, yes. Uh, yeah. So. Fucking... Sol- solved it. Dust, dust your hands off, my, my, fe- my fellow worker. Yeah. To me, that like sums up left anti-Semitism. It's the like, what? Don't yeah, get mad absolutely. at him because he's Jewish. Get mad at him because he's Jewish. And, and don't like, get mad at him because of the religious belief. Get mad at this imagined cult, like cultural secret society we've attached to them. Yeah, because we can't. Because we're so fucking like dim-witted as to just imagine that the world is completely bad because monsters vie for power and are able yeah, to achieve totally. it very 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 easily yeah without some like shady cabal pulling the strings yeah you fucking nitwits <laughs> exactly you fucking nitwits is the nicest way that we can so um after the death of his father alexander the third is now the czar and he crushes everyone who steps out of line and completely ends the revolutionary nihilists um <laughs> But, yeah, I've heard a lot of people be like, "Oh, and the, once they killed the czar, it really, it really fucked up the revolutionary nihilist movement." And like, you know, one without considering everything else, uh-huh. what else? Well, they like, like beat the game. What else, what else could they do? They fucking won. They beat yeah. the final boss. Yeah, game's like, over now. In a, in a way that no other modern revolutionary movement that I can like really think of has done as drastically um as like dr- uh, dramatically rather yeah just like the czar steps out of his carriage just like what the, what's going on yeah and they fucking turn him into two different czars <laughs> they tear off his middle i want to leave i want to c- cover one more loose end about all of this because it's just one of my favorite anecdotes about the nihilists there's this guy named Lik- nikolai kabalchich uh, and he is the primary bomb maker, and he is slowly suffocated on the stand, you know, like all of them. And he's a literal rocket scientist. And as he's in his cell awaiting execution, he meets with his lawyer. But instead of being like, hey, buddy, here's my plan to like not die, right? Here's what we're going to do for my case or whatever. He's like, I wrote up these papers, and no matter what, you have to get these papers out. This is so important. This is like my dying wish. You got to get these papers out. And so the lawyer's like, all right, and he gets the papers out, but he doesn't, they get like taken by the cops and then they get locked up until 1918. But the papers are, uh, 
the invention of um, modern rocketry. Um, the papers are like, this is how you have a manned heavier than air flight with rockets. And here's how you can use like slow burning fuel in the following ways. And here's how you would direct the direction of the rocket with like by setting, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist. Um, and it it's heartbreaking to me because his, like in the note, he's like, it's okay that I'm dying because I've done this invention. This is like what matters that I offer this to the scientific world. And uh, and it doesn't get seen until someone else invents it. Ten years later, uh, a, a German scientist invents it. Um, but but I like his priorities, you know? His priorities is like kill the czar, invent stuff. That's really amazing. Uh, something that's very obviously not going to be passed through the historical record to us. But like, you know, we we see everything through this realm of the this fucking burning circus tent of the 21st century. And we can look back to these times before, like every like, you know, I can't imagine a world beyond the Internet and they and like even farther back before industrial like fully industrialized mm -hmm. society where you know when we have to have like these 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 meetings that we might consider like revolutionarily important we are <laughs> we're meeting under bridges and skate parks and everyone leave your phones in these backpacks and we'll leave mm -hmm. them outside and all the and like all this like cloak and dagger shit that like Back then, they really had cloaks and they really, really had daggers. Yeah. And they were able to see their lives in before the collapse of history, like to use a, I don't even know where that phrase comes from. I just use it sometimes. I assume <laughs> it's a, some academic bullshit that I've adopted <laughs> as like nothing really before when they could still see like we can get our hands at the levers of power because we're making these fucking wily e. coyote mm -hmm. like black round bombs in the back room of our friend's bar and we're gonna blow up the fucking czar blow up a uh, police chief and let them know that we are like their full full-on enemy like we're not they're not into making negotiating with us we're not into negotiating a better world or overthrowing them to impose our own order. We just want to, uh, we're not going to put that pressure on ourselves. We just are like, yeah, fuck this. Yeah. There's like the, if I'm being beat with a baseball bat and I'm like, please stop beating me with a baseball bat. And the person is like, well, what would you like instead? How would society work in a world where I'm not beating you with a baseball bat? And I'm like, we can get to that later. We don't have to talk about that now. Could you, could you, could we switch it out for a Nerf baseball or yeah. could we mm -hmm. have somebody else? Could we have somebody else perhaps in a different country beaten with the baseball or Nerf baseball bat? Yeah. Cert certainly in the best of all worlds. Like that's what I would want, but the world has been overly complicated by right. us allowing this to go on without people, without 
motherfuckers wearing crowns being blown up every single time they arise. Maybe uh, by the time this airs, the history of Russian uh, regicide will. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Ah, is this the is this is this is this is this the point where we ask Io for their uh, pluggables? Yeah, probably. It, I suppose it is. I am on Twitter and Instagram. You can look up B U M L U N G, which is Bum Lung. That's me, and I talk about stuff on there. I make comics, and I'm a printmaker. I have a store that you can probably find. Um, don't look up my old bands, etc. <laughs> that's 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 my tale. And you can also uh, buy original Be Gay Do Crime T-shirts. Just just saying. Yeah, totally uh, snitch on yourself every single day with a Be Gay Do Crime T-shirt. <laughs> and uh, uh, listeners can follow Margaret too on where and when uh, they and what they can follow me and how. Well, I don't know how. I suppose different buttons. So you can follow me on mm-hmm. Twitter at Magpie Killjoy, and you can follow me on Instagram at Margaret Killjoy. And you can listen to my podcast. Is it funny if I make the same joke twice that you can listen to my podcast? It's a new podcast. It's called Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. And you can listen to it. <laughs> you can find it on Good Cool ones, Zone Margaret. Media. Oh, uh, yeah, at Cool Zone Media on the Insta and the Twitter for the things. Oh, and, and we'll be back when, when, Margaret? Mondays and Wednesdays. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.